What is going on? Happy Thursday. Welcome to the show. Pete Callender here. Thanks a lot for letting me be a part of your day. I appreciate it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The phone numbers are 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. And remember, get the podcast. Totally free. It's totally free. And it comes right to your smartphone or your tablet. You don't even have to do anything except press play and listen. So um, I have a little bit of, well, good news and bad news kind of a thing. There's so much stuff to get to today. I've got a couple guests coming on, one at 1 o'clock and one at 2 o'clock. But uh, I got a message from, and I'm going to circle back in Jen Psaki style to Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools uh, in the third hour. But uh, I, I'm, I'm just so excited about these results. Uh, I got forwarded the implicit, what is it called? The implicit association test. Uh, it's out of Harvard, and it's and I've taken it before, but apparently CMS is running its people through this right now. Everyone's taking this implicit bias. That's what it used to be called, an implicit bias test. And it would tell you if you're racist, basically. And uh, you just sit there, and I remembered it because when you're doing the uh, the test, it shows you pictures and it shows you um, uh, words, and it alternates between them and mixes them up, and you – put one hand on the E letter and one hand on the I letter on the keyboard, and you just basically, it's just like a rapid-fire thing, and they just, you know, show the picture, and it's a, a European-American or a Black-American, and it's a positive word or a negative word. And they mix them up, and they shuffle them around, and then they swap the sides, and they pair them together. They do all these permutations. And I remembered that because when this thing first started up, gosh, I guess it's been like 15 years or so, is the first time I remember I took it when I was a reporter here at WBT when this thing first came out. I forget why I took it. Uh, it was in the news, I guess. And so I said, "Well, I'm going to find out if I'm a racist. Let me go ahead and uh, and and do the test." And I came out, and it turns out I did have a slight preference for uh, a racial group. I mean, it, it was the it was blacks. <laughs> Apparently, I had a slight. Uh, well, the first time I took it. Actually, I think it said, like, moderate. I had a moderate preference towards African-Americans. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Then a couple years later, uh, somehow or another, somebody sent me the link or I found it again. I was like, oh, you know what? It's been a while, several years. Let me take it again. And I took it again. And that time it came out as a slight preference for a racial group. And that it also towards African-Americans. And so I thought, oh, all right, well, I mean, I guess it's kind of the same. I don't remember how I did, like, because there are uh, there's other questions that they ask you, and I don't remember how I answered some of this stuff. Um, but whatever, yeah. I still have this preference, apparently, according to the, uh, the big brains at Harvard that developed this uh, computer test. And so then I got a message uh, today that apparently Charlotte-Mecklenburg Schools, is, they're running their employees through this test. And so I got a link to it. I went over to it. And holy smokes, they've got every single category of gender identity, uh, sexual orientation, age. They got presidents. They show you pictures of Joe Biden with other presidents and trying to gauge your bias or something about presidents. They have all these different categories now. But I said, look, I because you know me, I'm more about the trend line than I am about the individual snapshot, right? So I said, well, I, there's the one on the racial 
uh, bias, uh, or now it's called implicit association test. I guess they figured out that people don't generally like being called racist, so they just, so they changed the name of the test. Implicit association test, the IAT. And I just ran through. It takes like 10 minutes. Same thing. I'm going through it. I'm like, I remember this. And so I'm going through, going through E, I, 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 E, E, I, E, E. Uh, anyway. So I take the whole test, and I got my results. And now, apparently, I have no automatic preference. Zero. That's the result. It's science. Your responses suggested no automatic preference between African Americans and European Americans. And I'm ashamed. I'm now ashamed. While this might actually be proof that I am, in fact, not racist or prejudiced or biased towards people, but the trend line. I went from moderately preferring African Americans to slightly preferring them, and now I don't have any preference at all. Like, I might as well be a Klansman. Anyway, I just thought you should know, full disclosure, you know, uh, life's an open book here. So um, <laughs> this is, I, I can only imagine, you want to know what the results are? Because they tell you, here are all the results the, uh, from the, because they, they compile them all, they lump them all together. And there were some things, like I just didn't answer, uh, I declined to answer some of the stuff, uh, like the, uh, the demographic data. I, you know, I said white guy, gave him, you know, what year I was born, but like, Politically, they said, are you really conservative, somewhat conservative, slightly conservative, uh, slightly liberal, moderately liberal, super liberal, whatever. And I don't know how to answer those questions. I've never known how to answer. It's I'm terrible when you give me that many things to choose from, you know, because what's the difference between slightly and moderately? Really? Slightly and moderately conservative? I am on some things. I'm not on some other things. So how do I answer that? Overall, I don't know. Some people would call me conservative, but I've had people call me liberal too. So I don't know. So like I didn't answer that. So whatever. I don't know if that affects the outcome. But here's the percent of web respondents with each score. So a strong automatic preference for European Americans compared to African Americans is 24%. So a quarter of all the people that did it showed a strong automatic preference for European American. Now, I don't know. Did I tell you here, like the, the components of, uh, no, they don't have any demographic data on who's taking this. Because I could actually see people preferring their own racial category. There's something, I think, probably like in our DNA about that, right? It's, it's, a, it's a way that people back when they were, you know, living in, uh, nomadic tribes and stuff, you would see somebody that doesn't look like you and know automatically, oh, they're not from our tribe. They're probably a threat. They're going to, you know, steal our pelts or something. And um, so there's probably something very instinctive about some of this stuff. So I'd like to know the demographic breakdown of who's taking the test, but whatever. Strong automatic preference uh, has 24% for European Americans. Moderate automatic preference, 27%. Slight automatic preference for European-Americans, 17%. And I am in the 18% category with little no, a little to no automatic preference between either group. All of the preferences for African-Americans compared to European-Americans are all in the single digits. 
slight preference for blacks is 7%, moderate preference for blacks 5%, strong preference for blacks 2%. So I'd be curious to know, what's the racial demographic breakdown of the people taking the test? Because African Americans make up 12% of the population, and that's 14% right there by my math. So which way are people breaking, right? Anyway, just thought you should know, Pete Callender. Not a racist still. So just in case uh, you had that arrow in your quiver to fire at me, uh, uh, it's, it, it doesn't land. So now I have three tests from Harvard. Three tests for Harvard. I'm going to print them out. I'm going to camera around with me. Honestly, though, in today's day and age, that's probably the worst answer you could have. Because when, like, I, I don't see color. Oh, that just means you're privileged and racist. So, yeah, probably... That's probably the worst answer. I'm so ashamed. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The attempted quantifying with metrics, right? This is one of the hallmarks of progressivism. Uh, you go back even you know a hundred years. There was this idea that uh, you know if we just got these technocrats in charge, they would be able to uh, you know set policy, set the rules, and govern everything correctly, make the right decisions because it would all be data driven. Dare I call it the science and data? Even before we were you know offering up those incantations to ward off COVID. This is sort of at the heart of uh, statism, uh, big government, progressivism, these philosophies of the left. And they say, well, we'll create these tests, these metrics, these uh, you know, ways to measure different things. And then we'll apply you know, these policies through those metrics and we'll, we'll, we'll put you into the different categories or uh, we'll apply these rules to different sectors of industries and such. And the same thing is happening, just like with my implicit association test, the same thing is happening at a corporate level. We've talked about ESG, right? ESG is environment, social justice, and governance. This is, uh, it's essentially China's social credit score. Same idea, right? Where in China, because it's, you know, communist and tyrannical, uh, they have got everybody on this social credit score where uh, if you speak out against the government, you do something that's not uh, in line with what the party wants, then they ding your score. And if you get a low enough score, now, you know, you can't get on the bus, you can't ride a train, you can't get food, you can't get a job, or they send you off to work at some job someplace else. Everything gets tied to the social credit score, and it's used as a carrot and a stick in order to force people to comply with what the party wants, what the state wants. And the same principle, the same philosophy is driving ESG. Now, this is the thing about uh, ESG is they say, no, 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 this is just about uh, uh, corporate social responsibility. It's what it used to be called. Right. ESG um, is 
it's I don't want to say it's an offshoot of it, but a lot of the CSR stuff that uh, a lot of businesses were doing o- over the last you know decade or so, it's been swapped out now. It's been replaced by ESG. And if you go to there's a website called uh, socialgoodconnect.org. And they outline back in April of 21, uh, they outline how it's different, how ESG is different uh, than CSR. And by the way, this has an impact on you. Trust me. If you're, it has an impact on everybody. Uh, but if you worked at all for, well, really anybody, it's going to have an impact on your finances. And now there are uh, elected officials that are in charge of the public purse strings that are overseeing pensions, like Dale Falwell, for example, that are now taking a hard line against ESG because of what it is doing to returns. It's jeopardizing returns. Okay, so ESG um, says more and more it has come to replace corporate social responsibility, CSR, as the go-to term for socially responsible business practices. Okay, socially responsible. Now, who determines what those are? See, this is its just like polling. Most important information is who paid for the poll. So if you're going to get to construct the metrics, it's not even a thumb on the scale. That's the whole hand, right? Garbage in, garbage out. So they go on to say the way a company responds to and impacts uh, environmental issues, such as their greenhouse gas emissions, Use of renewable energies, carbon footprint, use of sustainable materials. Okay, so that's one component of the ESG is the E part. And so it's all about environmentalism, which I have long argued uh, most people in the environmental movement are what I call watermelons. They are red on the inside, green on the outside. So who does this description automatically by default carve out? Right. If you are of a particular type of business, if you work in an industry, if you own a company or part of a corporate board or whatever, who who's going to get a low ESG score based on that criteria without knowing anything else? Right. Every single fossil fuel company, every company that doesn't do only sustainable, which, by the way, are not sustainable. They're not you got to mine the minerals in order to make the solar panels, right? That's not sustainable because eventually the mines are empty. So the way a company responds to, and and by the way, I say that as a solar panel owner. Of course, I got mine for prep reasons, but, <laughs> uh, well, and also, you know, when I'm at, uh, I'm on the cocktail circuit, I am able to uh, morally preen and uh, look down upon others with an air of moral superiority that I have solar panels because I care about Gaia Earth. I am insulated from these attacks. But any kind of fossil fuel company is going to have problems with their ESG score because the E in the ESG score is basically not them, right? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So if you are an energy producer in the fossil fuel space... You're not going to do well on an ESG score, right? Now, because the environmental component, I mean, you're just running afoul of all of the metrics they create. But on the social side of it, this uh, company's social impact, this is how you get the S part. And they throw that into the, uh, into the, the permutation, 
or the formulation, the calculation. This includes employees and workers throughout the supply chain as well as customers. So I guess maybe the solar panels might take a hit there or the electric vehicles because, well, with all of the child labor being used to mine the rare earth minerals, maybe. Anyway, uh, issues as, uh, such as pay equity, data protection, diversity and inclusion, and employee treatment fall under this category. It's kind of a racket because then you have the DEI companies that come in, you know, run your people through the DEI uh, trainings and such, uh, you know, make people cry, tell everybody they're racist or oppressors, um, and then, uh, you know, take their check and leave. And then you get the little, uh, I think it's a smear of blood that you put over the door. So this way the Church of Wokeism passes you by. I think that's how that works. Um, Then there's the governance structure. How are, are your executives making their decisions? Governance encompasses issues such as executive compensation. So if you're paid too much, low score. Diversity and independence of board members and legal structure. There was something, though, when you scroll down here and you look into their, uh, the ESG and how are these things calculated? Get this. This leads us to our next potential issue. There is no single universally accepted standard for ESG measurement. Instead, we have a complex and confusing web of organizations working independently to define and create methods of reliable impact measurement. Often these methods turn to the UN Sustainable Development Goals or the targets set by the Paris Agreement as a guide. However, while ESG is intended to be more quantifiable and clear-cut than corporate social responsibility, there is still no clear solution to the question of impact measurement. If you want to calculate your company's ESG score right now, your best bet is to recruit an external organization to help you do so. And there's another component of the racket. Now you got to hire a company to come in and assess your ESG scores so then you can report them and so then People can make financial decisions, investment decisions based on that ESG score. Again, if you're, say, a coal-producing company, this might pose you uh, pose some problems for you, which is why the West Virginia State Treasurer, Riley Moore, published a list of five financial institutions that he has deemed now to be ineligible for state banking contracts due to their ESG activism. Braden Marsh at CarolinaJournal.com reporting the list includes BlackRock, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, and Goldman Sachs. North Carolina State Treasurer Dale Falwell said he supports what West Virginia's treasurer is doing, and he's keeping an eye on activist investors himself. Many of the companies are penalizing investments that operate in the coal industry, using their ESG scores as justification. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance and is a recent trend in investments where companies are chosen based on how they align with left-wing social and environmental priorities. You ever notice all this stuff always trends the same direction politically, right? It's always going in the same direction. Any institution... With policies aimed at weakening our energy industries, tax base, and job market has a clear conflict of interest in handling taxpayer dollars, said the West Virginia uh, State Treasurer Riley Moore, who put out this list of restricted financial institutions. Dale Falwell in North Carolina said 
He has noticed activism by those managing North Carolina's investments and is working to counter it. He said, quote, just because somebody manages money for our pension plan doesn't mean they own the stocks and can spew their own social beliefs on something they don't own. It's not your money, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard. It's not your money. Those, that, that's, that's people's money. That's the state's money that they poured into pension funds. You're managing it. You don't get to set priorities that reduce the return on investment based on your progressive ideology. Falwell said we are working to remove their proxy so they can manage the stocks but not vote on the stocks. That is a great idea. It's a great idea because that's how they wield power. They get the proxy votes because they manage all the money, and so they use that in order to move companies in certain directions. And the uh, Andy Puzder, the former CEO of uh, Carl's Jr., uh, he talks about this in, in one of his presentations. I've mentioned it before. Uh, Exxon was sort of the, uh, the canary in the coal mine, no pun intended. Um, they were targeted by BlackRock and Larry Fink, the CEO, appropriately named, uh, they said, you're going to put a bunch of environmentalists on your board of directors. And Exxon was like, uh, the hell we are. And BlackRock then tanked their stocks. And they caved. Activist investment firms are leveraging state pension funds for their own goals. I don't see how this is legal. I really don't. Moore said, quote, we're not going to pay for our own destruction. We're not going to subsidize that. They have weaponized our tax dollars against the very people and industry that have generated them to begin with. That's why we're pushing back against this ESG movement. Down in Texas, Jason Isaac, the director of the Texas Public Policy Foundation's Life Powered uh, Initiative, former state lawmaker, went on to Twitter and said ESG activists and lenders who steer money away from politically disfavored industries like fossil fuel exploration and production may be colluding on group boycotts of energy producers in violation of antitrust laws. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, and attorneys general from 17 other states, including Arizona, Kentucky, Ohio, North Carolina. I'm just kidding, not North Carolina as a Democrat. He's not doing that. Uh, anyway, the, all these others signed a letter demanding answers from BlackRock CEO Larry, appropriately named Fink. Lawmakers in Texas passed the Oil and Gas Protection Act, and that forbids organizations known to discriminate against fossil fuels from doing business with the state. Companies believed to have violated that law have already been sent letters giving them 60 days to comment on their policies. The backlash is beginning. People have asked me since I've talked about ESG, they have asked me, uh, Pete, you know, what are some alternatives? Uh, there is one that I'm aware of. Uh, the other one, I, I know of two, but one of them is up and running, and it's called Strive Asset Management, and uh, I've got an audio clip from its founder. We'll take a listen to that up next. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so we got about 19 states questioning BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard over this ESG regime, which is, uh, in my opinion, basically, it's known as social credit scores, except it's being applied 
to uh, to our economy, to companies and uh, boardrooms and such. There is one company that uh, I, that I know of, and this guy has been out there. His name is Vivek Ramsawi, and he has set up uh, Strive Asset Management. And I caught him, uh, or caught a clip of him on uh, where was it? Uh, Tucker Carlson's show. And here's what he had to say because they've now gone public. Uh, with their uh, with a division of Strive Asset Management. So look, Tucker, we're solving a problem through the market where BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, these are the three largest U.S. asset managers managing over $20 trillion. It's about the U.S. GDP. And what they're doing is they're using the money of everyday citizens to damage the American energy sector. That's the sector most harmed by these ESG demands. Yes. And what they tell these companies is to drill less, to frack less, to produce less energy. And you know this well, that has led to a generational American energy crisis. Higher gas prices, less successful American energy companies begging foreign countries to supply America's energy needs. But the good news is we don't have to wait for politicians to solve that problem. We can solve it through the market. And that is what we're doing. So, So what Strive did last week was we listed on the New York Stock Exchange, an exchange traded fund, an energy index fund called DRLL, Drill. And it delivers a really simple mandate to U.S. energy companies as a shareholder to drill more, to frack more, to do whatever allows these companies to be most successful without regard to anyone else's climate change agenda, environmental agenda or social agenda. And the good news is I think that's going to lead energy companies to be less successful and to make more money. But even more important, he meant to say more successful, by the way. I caught that, too. He meant to say more successful for the country to also shore up American energy security. And that's something people don't have to wait until November to vote for. People vote every day with their dollars. And my hope, Tucker, is that, you know, we actually got over $100 million in the first week. That makes this the fastest non-seeded ETF launch of the year. And it appears to be driven by grassroots support, everyday citizens joining this movement. What I hope to see is this energy fund get bigger than the comparable energy fund offered by BlackRock or by other asset managers to send a powerful signal to the American energy sector that actually there's a new citizen mandate that demands energy companies to be the best versions of themselves rather than vehicles for advancing social ideologies. Well, and, you know, a lot of people participate in ESG whether they want to or not. I mean, right. they're investing your money without your knowledge in things that hurt you. Exactly. Is it possible for normal people to participate in this alternative? Oh, actually, this is designed for restoring the voice of the everyday citizen in this in the American economy, starting with the energy sector. Actually, the average it's interesting, Tucker. One of the interesting things about last week was the average trade size that we saw in the New York Stock Exchange into DRLL drill was less than five thousand dollars. If you look at the other index funds or the other ETFs that launched with with over one hundred million dollars in the first week, it was millions of dollars on average. So I think this is actually a bottom up revolution, I think, Tucker, where we can empower everyday citizens, A, with knowledge and B, with their own capital to be able to actually send this different message to American energy companies, which is pretty simple. All right. So there you go. DRLL. That's the they went uh, they went public part of Strive Asset Management. Um, Here's another uh, comment. Whole Foods CEO John Mackey, quote, he he was on a uh, podcast the other day with uh, Nick Gillespie from Reason.com, libertarian guy and libertarian uh, organization. And the Whole Foods CEO John Mackey said, quote, my concern is that I feel like socialists are taking over. They're marching through the institutions. You know, that's a reference to, right? See, if you know what to listen for, you can hear what they're, what they're throwing down. The long march through the institutions. That's, that's Gramscian 
neo-Marxism. That's the root of critical theory, the root of critical race theory, radical gender theory. Like all of this stuff traces itself through to Gramsci, Antonio Gramsci, the Italian communist. That's what he just said. They're marching through the institutions because that's what Gramsci said had to be done. It's not you're going to you're not going to be able to engage people in uh, predominantly wealthy capitalist countries because uh, they're not going to be driven by an envy of the class an economic class. You got to find different ways to do it. And you have to march through the institutions and you have to take over them, media, art, uh, schools, right? You have to take over all of these institutions in order to create a different culture. So the proletariat doesn't even realize what's happening because they will aspire to be in the, uh, the bougie class. That's where they want to be. And so when you try to pit them against economic classes, it doesn't work. He says they're taking over education. It looks like they've taken over a lot of the corporations. It looks like they've taken over the military, and it's just continuing. You know, I'm a capitalist at heart. I believe in liberty and capitalism. Those are my twin values. And I feel like, you know, with the way freedom of speech is today, the movement on gun control, a lot of the liberties that I've taken for granted most of my life, I think, are under threat. He's retiring from... Uh, Whole Foods at the end of the month, and uh, he says he's now going to be able to get more engaged because he was kind of restrained by his role as a CEO. Looking forward to that. Up next, we're going to get an update on the uh, situation with the cats and the dogs at the Animal Care and Control Facility here in Charlotte, Mecklenburg. Stay tuned. (laughs) 